3: The word is in about the response to Joe Biden's speech. We have hit a turning point. This is the end of the era of Reagan. You know, I may be wrong, but I really believe that a couple of years from now, we're gonna look back on this week and say, this was the week that everything changed. This was the week that things actually turned. And the fact that, you know, kind of an old line, quote, moderate Democrat like Joe Biden has taken these very progressive positions and is enthusiastically promoting them tells me that the entire party is on the verge of major change or has already experienced major change. We now have an opportunity, I think, now that Biden has essentially declared war on Reaganism and the whole Reagan idea that government is some awful, remote, evil force that we all should be you know, afraid of and hate when Joe Biden came out and said, no, no, the government is us. It's we the people. So what do we do with that? Well, I'd like to start out by suggesting that we should roll back Reagan's tax increases on the middle class. Now, you've heard me many times say I think that we should roll back the Reagan tax cuts of course, Reagan tripled the national budget simply by, by cutting taxes on very, very wealthy people. But what most people don't realize is that on 11 different occasions, Reagan raised taxes on people who back then made less than $30,000 a year, which was you know kind of the high end of the upper middle class. That would be like $70,000, dollars $90,000 a year in today's money. And he raised taxes on everybody basically making below that. And he raised taxes in addition on some very specific programs. In 1935, when the Social Security program was put into place, FDR and the the logic of Congress at that time was, Social Security is an insurance benefit. We don't charge taxes on insurance benefits. And this is an insurance against old age poverty. It's something that people are gonna pay into throughout their working lives. It's gonna be deducted from their taxes. Their employers will pay a matching amount. And so it shouldn't be taxable. Social security money, if you, if you lived on social security, if you received social security, if you, either if it was because you were over 65 or if you were a young person in your 20s or 30s, but you had like my friend Michael Hutchison who was out running and slipped on an icy bridge and fell into a river, broke his neck, was paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life. He just you know, He died just a few years ago. He used to be on this program fairly regularly talking about this extraordinary mystical experience that he had had back in the day, thoughts on what it means to be completely paralyzed. And and Michael lived on Social Security for the rest of his life. I mean, he had a few friends who, you know, I sent him a little bit of money every month, and so were a bunch of other people, but but mostly he lived on Social Security. Had this been pre-Reagan, there would have been no tax on it. Let's roll back that. Let's say, enough already. This is crazy. Why should anybody be paying income taxes on Social Security? This is a benefit. This is insurance. This is something we all paid into. Similarly, on unemployment benefits, when the unemployment was established in federal law, which was, again, in the 1930s. This was part of FDR's New Deal. And then states had their own, you know, they had some latitude in how to use that money and how to, you know, whether to match it with their own money and all this kind of stuff and and the Tenth Amendment and all that. But it was never, it was never taxed. I mean, the idea was throughout your working life, your employer has to pay into a, an unemployment trust fund, basically, they're, they're typically state-based. And whether you like it or not, that your is gonna take that money out of your pay. They're gonna consider it a cost of your employment. And as a cost of your employment, you know, essentially, okay, you know, that's that's been covered. So why should you pay taxes on unemployment benefits when you get them? You're unemployed. I mean, if anybody shouldn't be paying income taxes, it's people who don't have a job, right? And then finally, tips. Tips were never taxed. I mean, you know, back in the 60s when, when Louise was working at, at Howard Johnson, she put herself through college working as a waitress. Pull their tips together, figure out if they were going to split them up or not, all that kind of stuff. But the tips were not taxed. So in 1981, Ronald Reagan passed the biggest tax cut for billionaires and big corporations in the history of the world. He dropped the top tax rate from 74% to 28%, which pumped trillions of dollars to the top 1% in today's dollars. And the result was an explosion in the budget deficit the following year, 1982. And there were still some Republicans who were hysterical about the budget deficit. They saw it going from $800 billion to, you know, over a trillion dollars. And they're like, whoa, this could become a problem. We have to do something about this. And so Reagan and the Republicans got together and they said, okay, we're not going to repeal the tax break that we just gave to the millionaires and billionaires and the big corporations. So what do we do? Well, let's tax working people. So they put a tax on Social Security benefits. They said, hey, that's income. We'll tax that. They put a tax on unemployment benefits. They said, hey, that's income. We'll tax that. That's money in people's checking account. That's what you call income, right? And they put a tax on tips. And they said, hey, let's go after tipped workers. And by the way, because because tips are now considered income, we can drop the minimum wage for tipped workers down to two bucks an hour. It had been separate and lower for some time. But, you know, hey, let's double down on all this. Also, you know, when Reagan came into the White House, and this is kind of peripheral to this, but when he came into the White House, if you made under $8,500 a year in today's money, there was a 0% tax bracket. You paid no taxes at all. In fact, you didn't even have to file. Reagan did away with that altogether. No more 0 <laughs> tax bracket. If you made less than $27,750, you had to pay up to a 15% tax rate. So Reagan really put the screws to working class people. And it's been that way ever since. And then finally, I'd say, you know, with regard to Social Security, not only do they need to stop taxing Social Security income, but they need to start using a cost of living adjustment like the CPIE. Bernie's been all over this for years. You know, those of you who listened to the program for years back when Bernie used to be on, he he would talk about it constantly. You know, why is it that the you know the cost of living measures the price of of computers, game boys, and gasoline when seniors' principal costs are health care and food and housing? Well, let's put that together. Well, there is a an inflation, you know, a cost of living adjustment number, it's called CPIE, that the federal government actually compiles. But they don't use that for Social Security. They should. So how about some tax breaks? How about returning to the era, the pre-Reagan era of tax? fairness. I mean, Reagan did and the Republicans have done such a good job over the last 40 years of selling the American public on tax cuts are wonderful. So cool. Let's give some tax cuts to working people or working class people, people who are retired, people who have lost their jobs or people who are working for tips and make unemployment benefits, social security benefits and tips as they were before Reagan, exempt from federal taxation. And, by the way, let's do away with the millionaire cap on Social Security taxes and let the millionaires pay into the Social Security fund, too. What do you think? Is this a start? Am I crazy? I know there's some conservatives out there who think I'm just plain old bat guano crazy, right? How dare you roll back anything Reagan had to say? If you think so, give me a call. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program, where we are occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. We're right here. Mike in Flint, Michigan. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
2: How to get it across to people that the minimum wage from 1971 until today, I, I, I went into the workforce in 1971. I worked at a gas station. And I know for a fact the gas was twenty cents because I used to put the signs out, and we used to sell cigarettes for thirty-five cents. Minimum wage was a buck fifteen, and when you think about it, you know that's four gallons of gas and a pack of cigarettes for a buck fifteen. And I tell these students that my, my sons are automotive instructors in high schools, and, and I tell them that you know it's like how much can you get for minimum wage today? But you know, at two dollars and fifty cents, you're getting four gallons of gas, and a pack of cigarettes is $16, which is nowhere near what minimum wage is at seven twenty-five. And it's really hard to get Go across, ahead. you know, that you could actually make a living at, at in 1971, at $1. cents. I had a car that was only three years old, and I see these kids, you know, we're working on these cars in these schools, and they're, they're driving junk that's 15 years old because they can't afford anything newer than that. So, you know, just your thoughts on... You know, what to tell people when they say, well, we don't need $15. Those kids don't need to make that much money, but it does put money back in the economy.
3: That's a great point. I remember 25 cent a gallon gas because I remember there was a gas station on the corner uh, down the street from our neighborhood that I used to walk by when my friends would go down to the, uh, there was a big forest down there and we'd go down and play in the woods with a stream running through it and everything. And they always had a sign out that said, four gallons for a buck, you know four gallons for a dollar. And that was probably when I was 10. I mean, you know, that, that would have been, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s. Well, in the in the early 60s.
2: Local stations used to advertise 17.9, but it was 190. It was a little cheaper grade of regular gas, but all the regular yeah. gas around here was around 20 cents a gallon. We used to, like I said, we used to put the signs out, and then at night when the gas station would close, we'd take a trip around the neighborhood and check to see what their prices were set at, and we'd always have it a penny lower oh, yeah. when we opened up the next day.
3: Mike, thanks for the story. I think your way of saying it is great and and the, you know what I uh, I saw a headline earlier today that said that the you know gas is going to be up above 3 bucks a gallon pretty soon nationwide cuz gas prices are going back up. Apparently right. cuz the big freeze shut down a whole bunch of refineries here in the United States. But, you yeah. know, at 3 bucks a gallon, how many gallons of gas can you, you know, if you bought 4 gallons of gas, that's $12, right? 36912.
2: Yeah. for people to understand it, you know.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Sandra in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Sandra, what's up?
2: Hi. Well, in reference to the gas prices,
4: I I remember as an adult paying 27 cents a gallon for gas. (laughs) i show you how old I am. Uh, In regards to Social Security, I I have to make sure that I overpay my federal taxes every year because the state of Nebraska expects me to pay them anywhere from $1,000 to $1,200 every year, but they don't take it out. Out of my social security, so that's twelve hundred bucks that I've got to come up with, and then the federal government, whatever they tax on it. But yeah, the state—some states do and some don't—but Nebraska really gouges you. And I could put that yeah. money towards a whole lot of other things, but I can't. So exactly, you know, same thing here. I I have, have... yeah.
3: I have both my Social Security income and I have my income from doing this program. And I have to tax myself, so, you know, to deduct from my paycheck at a higher rate for this program because the Social Security Administration doesn't take taxes out. Maybe there's a provision where they can, I'm, you know, I haven't really looked into it, but you know, as it is, I, they don't. And, and, but yeah. it is taxable and, and, and you know, the fact that they, you know, the default is that they don't take out taxes is, you know, it's because (laughs) there were no taxes on Social Security prior to 1980. So, uh, you know, yeah, there we go. Sandra, thank you. Thanks for the validation. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hey, Jeff, what's up?
0: Yeah, Tom, I, I agree. I think it would be wonderful that you didn't have to pay that Social Security. I recall back as a railroader, back when we were getting $125 a week unemployment benefits, if you didn't adjust your uh, W-2 to have extra money taken out of it, come into the year, you ended up having to pay all that out of your and 400 or $600 a month, you have to pay that extra tax. But right. I don't see how we're going to accomplish anything here uh, without some Republican support on anything, and unless we do something with this filibuster, because... I think they're going to try to come for Social Security and Medicare. They're already screaming right now that this uh, COVID bill that was passed, they're saying only 9% of it going to actually COVID. And that's the big Republican talking point in here in Iowa. The Republicans are just hammering this message, and there's no counter message. We used to have three Democratic Congress people. And one Republican, mine, which was Steve King, you know him well. Now we Mm. have three Republican congresspeople and one Democratic woman congressperson. That's how Mm. Iowa has flipped. And so I'm surprised there's not a clock. You know, they always love to uh, have their deficit clock over the shoulder, and I'm surprised they haven't started that right now because the Republicans are just hammering this COVID bill here in Iowa. And I'm sure that they're going to want to come for the Santa Claus, the Democratic Santa Claus, as you like to call it.
3: Yeah, Social Security and and, uh, Medicare. Yeah, absolutely. This is why Joe Biden is going on the road and Kamala Harris are going on the road this week, is to sell this bill because the Republicans are trying to get out ahead of it. It's it's wildly popular. People are very happy. There's money to put schools back together. As I said, I'm going to do a deep dive on this in the third hour of the program today. It's a good thing that for the first time, Democrats are starting to really get serious about messaging their own legislation. Obama never really took credit for his stimulus bill. And I think it hurt him. And that 9% talking point has been echoed. I think it's fairly easily disputed, but it's not 100%. I'll give you that. And I think it's a good thing that it's not 100%. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. we're talking about undoing these taxes these insane obscene crazed taxes and i also wanted to get into the end of the reagan revolution i really think that the reagan revolution scheme to gut america's middle class is coming to an end it's that one phrase that was in joe biden's speech i'll get to that in just a second but you know what most people don't realize is that the reagan scheme to gut the middle class actually had a philosophical basis. It's kind of the spine of my book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, which has all the footnotes and sources and everything else in it for any details you want on this. But back in 1951, Russell Kirk published this book called The Conservative Mind. And the first chapter was devoted to Edmund Burke, who was the conservative uh, British philosopher and politician back in the late 1700s. Thomas Paine visited him for two weeks on his way to to France to get arrested in the French Revolution. And Paine was so outraged by Burke's arguments that he wrote an entire book rebutting them called The Rights of Man. Burke was defending among other things Britain's restrictions on who could vote or participate in politics based on wealth and land ownership as well as the British maximum wage. That's right, the maximum wage. Burke and his contemporaries in the late 1700s believed that if working class people made too much money, they would challenge the social order and collapse the British form of government. So Parliament passed a law making it illegal for employers to pay people over a certain amount so as to keep wage earners right on the edge of poverty throughout their lives to prevent social unrest. So Russell Kirk and his followers, and this is again back in the 50s, they said, you know, If the American middle class, which at that time was growing faster, more rapidly and larger than any middle class in the history of the world. This was like late 18th century England during the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in Europe. Same thing was happening there. And so the British put into place these maximum wage laws. And Kirk said, if the middle class gets too rich, young people are going to stop respecting their elders. Women will no longer respect their husbands because they won't depend upon them for for income and things. They'll be able to get their own jobs. And minorities are going to start making outrageous demands and that could even lead to things like setting the country on fire. You know, they've got a long history of pent up outrage and, and we need to keep it pent up. That was basically the sales pitch. And his book in nineteen fifty one electrified people like William F. Buckley and Barry Goldwater. But, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, who was president the following year, in 1954, he wrote a letter to his brother about Russell Kirk and his buddies. And he said, you know, their, quote, their numbers are negligible and they are stupid. But then came the 1960s. And, you know, in 61, the birth control pill was legalized by 64. It was in widespread use. And thus, that kicked off the women's liberation movement and you had bra burning as at least a thing in cultural folklore. By 1967, young people on college campuses were revolting against an illegal war in Vietnam. They were burning draft cards. And throughout that decade, African Americans had increasingly been demanding an end to police violence and an expansion of civil rights. And you combine a series of violent police attacks on black people, which are what triggered every single one of the major riots that happened in the late 60s. Every single one of them was was triggered by police violence, which is something the media seems to have forgotten. That's really fallen into the media, you know, into the into the memory hole. But that was the case and riots broke out and some of our cities were on fire. So you had these three crises, right? The women's movement, young people in revolt, and and African-Americans, the civil rights movement, and and cities on fire. And the conservatives looked back at Russell Kirk in 1951 and said, whoa, that guy was not wrong. He was a prophet. And the conservative solution to this, the Republican solution to this, was put into place in 1981 with the Reagan revolution. And it was specifically to take the middle class down a peg to restore social stability. So they declared war on labor unions so that they could reduce wages, which they did, and it succeeded. They, did, they amplified, doubled down on Nixon's war on drugs. So as John Ehrlichman said, he said, you know, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be against the War of Black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana, and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could, dis- we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news, which is what they did and uh, and and then reagan massively cut taxes on on rich people while he raised taxes on social security t- income and unemployment income the conservatives back then thought they were doing this to quote save america to quote restore social order well 40 years later we can look back and say you know that's not what that did Instead, it wiped out, it destroyed the dreams of millions, tens of millions of Americans. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. In fact, I would argue over the last 40 years, hundreds of millions of Americans' dreams were destroyed by the Reagan revolution. It's time to reverse the Reagan revolution. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? You know, you were talking about a lot of
5: uh, Reaganism and conservatism is based on a philosophy. I worked with a guy in Afghanistan. He was a young guy. I mean, he was a captain, he was in the special forces. I mean, there's no way you could say he was unintelligent, but his philosophy was so repugnant to me, and I'm sure mine was repugnant to him, that we really didn't get along too well. But I could never get him to flex. Even, I mean, it was very important to him. He thought it was very unjust that homeless people were not uh, paying taxes. He believed that everybody should pay something, and and, and I, I you know I drilled down on that, and I I came to the conclusion it was based in his uh, religious theology because he was a smart guy. He he learned Arabic just to proselytize Christianity. He was really he wow. had two or three languages. Yeah, he was a smart guy. But he I, I was amazed at how young he was and how completely adamant he was about this idea and and i think it traces back to uh, a protest he was a protestant and it's their interpretation of uh tithing to the temple i mean there is no Mm -hmm. tithe that is unworthy i you know to the temple i i don't know reagan's house on the hill that but anyways i wanted to say as far as reaganism goes i don't see how um i mean i am all uh, i I completely am with you Tom. I hope Reaganism is going away, okay, but I'm a little bit uh cynical because of uh, or skeptical because of um I don't see how it's going to be possible without a more robust union presence, because what is going to incentivize these CEOs? Like, I understand there's a whole stakeholders versus shareholders debate. and I respect that debate, and I'm not sure. You, you will shape my opinion on all that, I think. But I just don't see how. Um, Here's a newsflash for over, you, Dave.
3: Go ahead. The Financial Times reported over the weekend, or perhaps it was later on Friday, I didn't have time to mention it on the program on Friday uh, before I got off the air, that Marco Rubio is now supporting the unionization of that Alabama Amazon uh, warehouse. and. That's huge, right? A guy who is like one of the one of the five serious contenders for Republican nomination for president in twenty twenty four, former uh, you know two time Republican uh, candidate for president, Marco Rubio, is supporting the union effort in Alabama. Uh, if that. If that warehouse, if that Amazon warehouse goes, it's going to be the beginning of a whole bunch of dominoes falling. And, and I think you're going to start seeing efforts in, in purple states, you know, like in Michigan, the legislature is still controlled by Republicans. We'll see how long that lasts. But I think you're, as these states get back under control of Democrats, Wisconsin's another one, um, you know, where they've got Democratic governors because the majority of people in the state are voting for Democrats, but even though the majority of the st- people in the state vote for Democrats because of gerrymandering, the Republicans still control the legislatures. I think we're going to start seeing that stuff change. And if H.R. 1 passes, which ends gerrymandering, that kind of stuff will pass quickly. This, that's how important that piece of legislation is. And, and then you're going to see union rights restored. I, I, I just Think we're right on the edge of this, and and I see that the Republicans are pulling out all the stops to demonize these things, and and you know now they're trash talking, you know the American Recovery Plan and all this stuff. But I just I think they are they are uh, uh, trying to shovel sand, uh, you know, but with a teaspoon at the seashore, or or uh, you know uh, spitting into the wind, or pick your terrible metaphor, but you know what I'm saying. I, I think the times have changed, and and that's a good thing. Where is the GOP going to go? What kind of party are they going to be? Can they continue to be both the party of fat cats and billionaires and corporations and the party of racists and misogynists and xenophobes? I I, I get it that there's a lot of overlap there. Almost all the, the really truly rich people in America are white men. And the vast majority of political power in this country is held in the hands of white men. So there's your overlap. But where are they gonna go with it? I, I don't have a crystal ball on this one. I have opinions. And my opinion is that the Republican Party is on the verge of going the way of the Whigs and the Federalists. Twice in the history of America, the conservative party has gone down in flames and been replaced by a whole brand new party. After the War of 1812, it, it was the Federalists, John Adams' party. And John Adams got trounced by Jefferson in the election of 1800, which began the disintegration of the Federalists. And, and after the War of 1812, that was it. By 1815, um, the Federalists, I mean, they were still around, and they still had a lot of, you know, a lot of more elected to power. But by the 1830s, they were gone, completely gone, replaced by the Whigs, W-H-I-G party. And then the Whigs were replaced in in the 1850s by the Republican Party, today's Republican Party. So is the Republican Party, is Donald Trump going to kill the Republican Party? And I think that's an open question right now. You know, the Republicans just spent the last month trying to cancel any support to Americans, the tens of millions of Americans who have lost their jobs because of the way that Trump handled the COVID crisis, the pandemic. The Republicans have been trying to cancel every effort to get extra unemployment benefits or stimulus money or anything to the American people. Why isn't that being referred to as cancel culture? When it finally came to a vote, not only did the Republicans try to cancel that legislation with every procedural move in the book, including Ron Johnson having the entire bill read by the clerks of the Senate, out loud a process that took 10 hours to slow it down and try to cancel the legislation. But then every single Republican in the Senate voted to cancel it. And now Rick Scott is literally Senator Rick Scott, the guy who, you know, when he was in the private sector, ran this big hospital chain that he was the CEO of, who was convicted of the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America. He took his hundreds of millions or millions of dollars that he he made from that gig, basically bought himself a Senate seat in Florida. Well, first of all, bought himself the governorship and then ran for the Senate. Now he wants to be president. I guarantee you, Rick Scott is going to be in the Republican primary in 2023. You are going to see Rick Scott there. He's smart. He thinks he's good looking. He's bilingual. He speaks fluent Spanish. And he's got more money than God. Rick Scott is reaching out to governors, Republican governors across the country saying, don't take any of that money. Weirdly, Ron DeSantis, the governor, of the Republican governor of Florida is going, what? I want that money. And here's another weirdness around this Republican Senator Roger Wicker just uh, tweeted out a brag on how COVID relief bill legislation is going to help restaurants in Mississippi. He represents Mississippi when he voted against it and he trash talked it on the floor of the Senate. But that's just the beginning. Republicans have been trying to cancel the minimum wage ever since it was enacted in the 1930s. They've successfully canceled any increases in it for over a decade. Republicans have gone out of their way to try and cancel Americans' health care. They've been on a, a Jeremiah ad against Obamacare, trying to cancel Obamacare. They took that all the way to the Supreme Court twice. Virtually every red state, I realize there's a couple of exceptions here, but virtually every red state has still refused to accept Obamacare's expansion of Medicaid. In other words, they're canceling, they have canceled health care for working people. Medicaid covers people who are working, but their wages are so low, they're below the poverty line. Therefore, don't qualify for Obamacare or for the Obamacare subsidies. This was the Obamacare subsidy. Supreme Court blew that up. And so, as a result, you know, well over half of the red states are saying, "No, we're going to cancel your health care if you're uh, working for seven bucks an hour and you're working fifty hours a week still, and you don't make enough money to qualify for Obamacare." Tough luck. Republicans have fought to cancel unions since nineteen well, since the nineteen twenties, even before the National Labor Relations Act, the Wagner Act, was passed in nineteen thirty-five, legalizing unions, and then in nineteen forty-seven, as I recall. It was in the 40s. I'm pretty sure it was 47. The Republicans passed the Taft-Hartley Act over over Harry Truman's veto. He vetoed it. They overrode his veto. The Taft-Hartley Act gives individual states the right to cancel unions. Virtually every red state, I think every red state, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure every single red state, and a few of the purple and blue ones even, have taken them up on that and canceled unions in their states, which has crashed union membership in America from a a third of all workers when Reagan came into office in 1981 to fewer than 6% of the private workforce right now. Republicans have been working for aggressively to cancel educational opportunities for Americans. Now, this hasn't always been a Republican shtick. When Dwight Eisenhower was the Republican president of the United States back in the 1950s, he built brand new schools all across America. I went to one in 1956 when I, you know, when I went to first grade, brand new school. That was Eisenhower. Everything changed though when Reagan came into office in 81. He put Bill Bennett in charge of the Department of Education. He was the Education Secretary. Bill Bennett, the, the guy who famously said, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. Yes, that Bill Bennett. He was in charge of the Education Department. And you could draw a straight line from him to Betsy DeVos trying to cancel public schools all across America to replace them with for-profit private academies. Republicans have been working since the 1980s to cancel a woman's right to choose an abortion. And in many states, they've tried to cancel women's rights to even have access to birth control. Most recently, Republican State Representative Brian Slayton introduced legislation into Texas that would cancel women's lives for having an abortion, give them the death penalty. We talked about that yesterday. Republicans have been trying to cancel workplace political and social rights for women for 98 years. It was in 1923 that Alice Paul wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, which passed in 1972, past Congress. It had been ratified by three quarters of the states. That happened six months ago, and a federal judge said, too late, you got to start over. The real cancel culture is the Republican Party. Why isn't anybody talking about this? If I'm missing anything, let me know. Right? What, what else are Republicans trying to cancel? Let's uh, have a conversation about cancel culture. You'll recall a few weeks ago when this became the, the meme of the month over on Fox News, I was kind of dismissive of it. Oh, yeah, sure, you know, this is just snowflakes. But there actually is a cancel culture. I just talked about the Equal Rights Amendment. It finally passed, right? It has to pass Congress. To amend the Constitution, you have to have two thirds majorities in the House and Senate, and then you have to have three quarters of the states. They got the two thirds majorities in the House and the Senate, and they passed that legislation on March 22nd, 1972, and then three quarters of the states have to ratify it. That happened. The last state ratified it about three months ago, four months ago. And what happened? It didn't become an amendment to the Constitution. Instead, A federal judge ruled that uh, you guys waited too long. 1972 was like 50 years ago. You waited too long. Sorry. And it's going to go to the Supreme Court. But so far, you know, the Republicans have succeeded in canceling this. I mean, they, they fought it consistently. Republicans have been trying to cancel your clean air since the 1970s, when the EPA came into law over Richard Nixon's threatened veto. Every Republican administration since then has done everything they could to weaken it. Since 1972, when Richard Nixon did veto the Clean Water Act, although Congress overrode his veto, you know, they've been trying to cancel your right to clean water. Donald Trump, in fact, was very proud of the fact that the first piece of consequential legislation he signed, and really outside of his tax break, the only piece of consequential legislation he signed, was a uh, a House-Senate joint resolution that allowed coal mining companies to dump their toxic waste directly into streams and rivers which floods down river cities with mercury and cadmium and other substances that we know are neurologically destructive to children. Pretty much every Republican legislator alive today has spent pretty much their entire political career trying to cancel the right of LGBTQ Americans to get married and at the state level there have been hundreds of attempts to even go beyond that and say that gay couples, gay married couples, can uh, you know they're trying to cancel adoptions, they're trying to cancel foster parenting for these folks over the past year. Republicans have been trying to cancel our, you know, well, they they in fact they have, and this is kind of the saddest part. Republicans have canceled the lives of a half million Americans, and they did it with rhetoric like, Oh, it's just like the flu, and no, we're not going to mandate a mask, that's freedom. Christy Nome, yeah, you know, half million bikers come to the Dakotas, won't it be great? Right. Cancel a half million lives. They're trying to get average Americans to cancel the COVID vaccine. The the, the big meme right now over on right-wing media is that, you know, this vaccine might be dangerous. Several states now that have canceled the mask mandates. Texas is the most famous, Greg Abbott. So they canceled the mask mandate and they're going to cancel the lives of thousands of their citizens. People are going to die because of this. And they're also you know, canceling the ability of many small businesses to run with any kind of efficiency. You've got people who own restaurants and bars whose employees don't want to get COVID. They don't, and even if they're young and healthy, they don't want to take it home to, to family members who might not be. And so those restaurants and bars have been really happy that they can say, sorry, you can't come in here without a mask. And now because of what Greg Abbott did, they, you know, they can say that and people will say, screw you. And they're, they're having to become the mass police. In Oklahoma, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives yesterday tried to cancel the lives of Black Lives of Matter protesters. They passed a bill that would decriminalize killing protesters by driving a car into a crowd if the guy who drove the car, a man or woman who drove the car, was fearful about the crowd criminalize being in the crowd. If you are blocking traffic, it's now, you can now go to jail for a year and $5,000 fine. I mean, these are variations on Florida's Republican Stand Your Ground law that gave George Zimmerman the right to, so-called, the right to kill Trayvon Martin because he was black and therefore looked threatening to Zimmerman. And perhaps most troubling, of course, is that the Republican Party is trying to cancel your vote. If you're poor, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're a college student, if you're a Social Security voter, if you make less than, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a year. The Republicans, over 200 pieces of legislation going through 40 states right now. Georgia just outlawed souls to the polls. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds just signed another big Republican, cancel your vote. And the Supreme Court let Republicans cancel the voter registrations of over 20 million Americans just in the last decade. So why is the media not talking about the real cancel culture? James, watching Free Speech TV in Chicago. Hey James, what's on your mind?
6: Hey Tom, I just want to use the word that a certain uh, talk radio host use all the time. That's brilliant. I think that, you know, I often hear you talk about the uh, Reagan tax cuts for the uh, rich, but you Mm -hmm. really riffed on the Reagan tax hike for the middle class. And I'm glad, I I hope that you would do that, just add that to that Reagan tax, but just add that little phrase to that a little more often, you know, good. I will. And uh, I I just want to say Joe Biden has really surprised me what he's doing. Uh, I'm impressed. And I think he's he's playing what we call chess at this point. He's not trying to go for everything right now, but uh, little by little, you know, (laughs) which is good. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. what, what say if you on that?
3: I agree. I agree. I think the I think the era of Reagan is dead. I mentioned this on Friday. I, I think that America, by and large, has. I mean, there's still some diehards, right? And this is all the squealing you're hearing about. Well, this bill isn't all about COVID relief. Oh my God, some of it's rolling back the Reagan Revolution. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it's a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's and and if you got to use reconciliation to get it through, okay. That's fine, uh, one other thing I don't on have that, a problem um, with one,
6: one, hey, one thing on that uh uh you know speaking of that, I just want to say that with with uh, with these uh hippocratic Republicans, you know when they're in, they, they speak about bipartisanship and and with them, bipartisanship means when they're in power uh it is do as I say and not as I do, or we'll override the filibuster with the Democrats right. when they're in power it's uh oh bipartisanship means when we negotiate. Even though you all have the power, we Republicans, you all get a ham sandwich and we get the whole hog afterwards. So these guys, they really right. something to huh? And then
3: they still don't vote for it.
6: Right. And then, and then they, they still, still vote, don't
3: vote
6: for it. And they take a victory lap right now, uh, even though every one of them, this is what the Democrats need to do at election time. They need to remind everybody that the, these Republicans did not vote for these things continuously you have to catch uh What do they say? Uh, repetition. Retention is the mother of rep- uh, I've had
3: something. Uh, repetition.
6: Yeah. Is the repetition of, is the
3: mother of retention. You know, yeah. You know, so th-
6: that's what I want to say. There buddy. you go.
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I'm totally with you, James. Yep. Solid. Thank you. Uh, Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up?
1: The union situation in this country is what's destroyed the middle class. There's no, no question oh, about yeah. it. I was oh, a yeah. uh, United Parcel driver back about forty years ago. The money I made, the 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 benefits I got were unbelievable. You know, and I talk to these yeah. guys that deliver in my neighborhood now, and I tell them what I had, and they they just shake their head. You know, we're going backwards. You know.
3: Yeah. Yeah, even the unions have been pushed backwards, and and it's because they have to respond to the local wage floors, and the local right. wage floors are no longer being driven by unions. Uh, unions are, are having to catch up. I'm with you, Tim. I'm with you. It's a crime. And we need to re-legalize unions, essentially. We need to do away with Taft-Hartley, which was this so-called right to work for less legislation. And, you know, it's time to do that. It's time to get on that. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up?
1: Yeah, uh, piggybacking on uh, your last caller there, there's a the whole bill is about COVID. I mean, look at public transportation all over the country. It took a huge hit because people weren't going to get in crowded buses or crowded trains where they might be able to catch COVID. And so right. the revenues of you know Caltrain in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, took a huge. Bart took a huge hit. Uh, you know this thing about oh, that's Pelosi and all that. It, I I just it, it raises my blood pressure, and that's where the message has to be. Is there's so many knock on effects of COVID over just about every aspect of society. You can't say this isn't a COVID bill. Uh, that's a hundred percent for COVID. Um, the other thing, though, is you know you were I think talking about. I think it's.
3: I think you could build a case, Dennis, that it is easily seventy, eighty, ninety percent for COVID, depending on how you're slicing and dicing it. There are some provisions in here, though, that are not COVID-specific that I that that are just like taking care of business. They're just they're just cleaning up, you know, debris left by by uh, years of Republican misrule, um, that are really really good provisions.
1: Well, I guess you could say maybe uh, reversing some of the. Republican policies of the past and COVID bill. Maybe that's what it should be termed. And going back yeah. to, uh, you know, you know, I can't say Republican. I have to say Republican because they're Thugs. I got it. And, you know, it started with Reagan. And, uh, you know, I'm a Californian. I'm a second generation Californian. So I was in seventh grade when Reagan got elected. And, you know, what did he, one of the first things he did was shut down a number of um, mental health facilities, which unleashed a bunch of uh people on the streets that shouldn't have been on the streets and then crime went up and then he could make a case where well we need more money for the police and so on and so forth it's like setting up things so that they get worse so that their pet projects can be funded later and the police would be one of them because that was also during the time of the Vietnam War protests you know, I'd like to remind you that Reagan threatened to shove a baseball bat up the rear end of the UC Chancellor over Vietnam War protests way back then. That's what kind of an he mm-hmm. actually really was.
3: Yeah, he said, he said he called them brats. He said, why should I be paying taxes to help these brats pay for their college tuition? And that was when he was governor of California. I'm assuming that's when you were seven years old and that's when he became governor.
1: Uh, I was in seventh grade, so I was like 12, 13 when he grade. got elected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that night when, uh, you know, my parents used to stay up to watch the 10 o'clock news in uh, one of the stations in in San Francisco. And uh, I was falling asleep and I'm hearing my dad yelling at the TV. And that's what it was about. It was about when he announced that he was going to to be closing these uh, mental health facilities as a way to save money. And look how much more it cost us later.
3: Oh yeah, of course. It's it's you know if you if you can quote save money so you can you know reduce taxes on rich people, um, and then throw those costs onto society and then just say oh that's not our responsibility and that's where we're at. You know homeless camps all over the country right now. We should call them we should call them uh, Reagan bills. Yeah, exactly like Hooverville? No, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, you know, they, they, yeah. during the Great Depression, they they called, they call, there were homeless camps all over the country. They called them Hoovervilles. These should mm-hmm. be called Reaganvilles. I mean, you know, you want to name something after Ronald Reagan? Let's name homeless communities after him, you know, or if you want to call them communities, you know, these little, we've got them all along the freeways up and down here. Louise and I drove down into Portland yesterday, and at every one of the uh, freeway exits where it's public land, you've got homeless camps, you know, with people with tents and things. They, They should have resources. They shouldn't be out there in the streets. This is just incredible stuff. Drew in Bedminster, New Jersey. Hey, Drew, what's on your mind today? Just made it the hypocrisy of the Republican Party not supporting the $15 minimum wage when what happens is
4: that uh, it turns out if McDonald's or any other company doesn't want to pay the $15 and the employees on government assistance, then you and I as taxpayers are subsidizing all those corporations. That's correct. And it's just Walmart. Make that's
3: sense. been Walmart's business model since the 1990s. It's not a viable business model
4: to not be on government subsidies. Then it's not a viable business model. And we shouldn't have to subsidize.
3: it. I completely agree. I, I completely agree. And, and uh, you know, f- people working full time should not be living below the poverty level. It's just that simple. Drew, thank you. Very, very well said. Dolores in Lake Bay, Washington. Hey, Dolores, what's up?
7: Well, when you were talking about Reagan and what he's done, the damage he's done, and I believe it was in the 80s, they came after the railroad retirement, and they couldn't touch it, they couldn't get into it. So the way they handled it is no spouse, even though I I had worked all the time and should have been able to have my Social Security... And my husband's half of the railroad retirement, Reagan's group said no double dipping. So oh, those yeah. spouses we had to give up our Social Security. Well, if I could have if I could have collected now for the last twenty years because I'm eighty five, if I could have collected the Social Security that I had put into with my railroad retirement, life would have been a lot easier.
3: Yeah, and and Reagan gutted that because he had to pay for his tax cuts.
7: Exactly, and he double dipped into everything, the actors, pensions and everything else, but we as middle-class people couldn't double dip.
3: I remember that. I did not realize it hit the, the railroad retirements. I know, I believe it was hitting teachers too. I think it's crazy that they have put an income tax on Social Security. I think that that's just nuts. I think it's crazy that they, that they are putting an income tax on unemployment benefits. I mean, for God's sake, people are getting unemployment benefits when they're unemployed. And you're going to slice you know 10-15% off your unemployment benefits? It just seems wrong to me. It seems deeply wrong to me. And then tips... Tips are typically in cash. Well, not always these days because a lot of people pay with credit cards. But, you know, still there's a lot of cash tipping going on. It just seems to be like it's, it's just nuts. It's just wrong that we are not looking at these kinds of, quote, income and saying, you know, this is not the purpose of the income tax. The purpose of the income tax is to raise revenue and encourage people to not take obscene amounts of money. So, you know, we need to raise the top bracket, obviously, back to where it was before Reagan, so that multimillionaires and billionaires will keep a little more money inside their companies. And we need to eliminate that lower bracket and go back to a 0% bracket for low-income people. And we need to do away with an income tax on Social Security, unemployment benefits, and tips. I mean, you know, it's just straightforward stuff. Joe in Robertsville, Missouri. Hey, Joyce, what's on your mind today? Or, Joe, excuse me. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind?
1: Uh,
5: earlier you were talking about tax taxes and tax cuts. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering uh, why Congress does not go after the Reagan, Bush, Trump, and during the Clinton era, uh, tax cuts that the Republicans, I mean, Republicans had pushed through. Get rid of those.
6: Yeah, they which
3: which, which all together add up to something like seven or eight trillion dollars. I don't know why they don't. either. Find
5: the Republicans are complaining about we don't have money. There's the money if they want to get to it. And
3: I, I you, completely guys. agree. Join your show
5: and enjoy. Thank the show you, for years. you. Have a wonderful day.
3: Thanks. You too. And there is a report in the news today. I, I briefly mentioned it, I, I believe, in the second hour that the Biden administration is looking at tax increases. And they will not be tax increases on you and me. They will be tax increases on people making over $400,000, which is what Joe Biden promised during the campaign. You'll recall, Donald Trump was going, he's going to raise your taxes. And Biden was like, yeah, if you make over four hundred grand, we are going to look at that. Well, apparently they're getting very serious about it. And I think that that's just a fine thing. Thank you very much. Dave in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dave, what's up?
5: I have to respectfully disagree with you. I don't think it was Reagan that started the wholesale lying for the Republicans. I think it was Nixon.
3: Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll give you that.
5: I <laughs> must um, oh, yeah. say, a long time, uh, first time getting through to you, Tom. Keep up the good work, sir.
3: Thank you, Dave. Thanks so much. And and yeah, I you know yes, Nixon was lying. In fact, John Ehrlichman. I let me just read this quote to you, uh, Dave. You'll you'll appreciate this. Um, and, and it's, it's uh, from the piece that I published on Sunday. Um, and uh, let's see here, here it is right here. Uh, John Ehrlichman told this to reporter Dan Baum uh, back about a decade or so ago. He says, uh, he was talking about that era. He says, you wanna know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. Do you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. And did we know that we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. That was John Ehrlichman, the chief. I think he was chief of staff in the White House. He was, you know, the right hand man to Richard Nixon. So, Dave, I agree. I do Dave, have thank a, one quick you. question, though.
5: was sure, um, go for it. Rick the one that um, basically didn't have to tax the stock options. So why don't we bring that back?
3: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he, he cut tax, uh, the capital gains tax. Yes. And I didn't know about options, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of loopholes, the, the Wall Street loopholes, essentially. Thank you, Dave. Kevin in Plummer, Idaho. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind today?
4: Reagan was an SOB. And yeah, I'll go I with agree. that. And I agree with everything you've said on how he taxed tips, unemployment, Social Security. And I just wanted to put a little past here. My mom raised us three boys on her waitress tips. And I remember when she would get home from work and remove her tip apron and us kids would count her tips, quarters, dimes, nickels, and even pennies, very seldom any paper money. And this was what we lived on. Each count was maybe five to ten bucks. She never really relied on her checks as much as she did her tips. The checks mm-hmm. were kind of chump change. And my wife my wife also put herself through college and spent a year in Europe on her waitress tips. Um mm-hmm and i worked construction through my life and was on and off unemployment most most you know especially in the winters i live in the north country and they never taxed the unemployment and it was just barely get by then but once they went to taxing that in the it was it was after reagan you know mid 80s it was hard especially if you didn't get back to work in the early spring to pay that tax bill next year so i know Over and over and over again what it was like before Reagan and then after Reagan, even to the point that the company that I worked for, and I know I sound like the lonesome loser, but after 35 years of working for them, they stole my pension. And they were a and owned company.
3: Which Reagan yeah. also allowed, by the way. Prior to the Reagan it's administration, true. companies had to book their pensions as a liability. In other words, money we owe to our employees. Reagan flipped that so that they could book their pensions as an asset. In other words, money, that, a pile of money sitting in our checking account. And so then when companies declared bankruptcy or when companies got acquired by other companies, that pension money just f- suddenly ceased to be pension money and just became the property of either the the, the, the bankruptcy court, or, you know, and, and, the, and the stockholders who were getting paid off, or, you know, the new stockholders of the new company. And, and that's how so many people got screwed pension wise. You know, young people listening right now, if you're listening to this program and you're not old enough to remember what America was like before Ronald Reagan, listen to Kevin. Back to you, Kevin, for a final point.
4: That's exactly what they sold. The guy sold out at the very end. For the last four or five years, I had to go do my own thing to make up to have some money, to you know help my Social Security out because that's all I get. And yeah. the Republicans are despicable. Everything you say, and you can thank do, Reagan for that there. too.
3: By the way you know he doubled exactly. the social security tax and made social security benefits taxable and assigned to social security the cost of living adjustment the cola from a cpi of you know a consumer price index that includes things like toys and electronics and gas and and travel expenses and vacations and I'm sorry people who are retired are mostly spending their money on food housing and medical care and that's a complete that's a, called the CPIE that's a different there's actually a consumer price index that measures the cost of inflation to older people and Republicans refuse to and Republican administrations historically have refused to apply that to social security and I am hopeful Biden puts that at the top of his list because he really, really needs to. I mean, it's just amazing how radically America has changed since 1980. And and again, young people who are listening to this program, um, you know, the you need to listen to people like Kevin who've been there, who who have lived through it, who experienced it, who saw. It. You know, and the other caller earlier was talking about his union experience and. And, and like that. Kevin, thank you for the call. I mean, this is, this is where we're at right now. And I really believe that when Joe Biden, a couple of nights ago, you know, what was it, last Thursday, I think he gave his speech, and he said, the government is us. It is we the people. Barack Obama never said that. Bill Clinton never said that. They were still living in this world where the Reagan paradigm was dominant, even in the Democratic Party. And Biden has said, screw that, that we are going to take on Reaganism head on. We are going to fight that battle. And this is the opening cry. That was the Declaration of Independence from Reaganism. You're
2: listening to the Tom Hartman program. And it
3: is, as Joe Biden would say, a big friggin deal. It really and truly is. randall in oklahoma city oklahoma hey randall what's on your mind
5: well uh
6: president biden is a weather van. he knows which way the winds are blowing and yep. right now this is a moment of truth Either he goes in all in gets rid of the filibuster does things that means this country can survive as a democracy or in four to six years we'll have king ted and king tom cotton and you know because they yep. don't care anything about democracy. I mean they don't care anything about voting I'm January sixth to show that. So this is the moment of truth. And he did everything that he needed to do and I am I'm a very progressive person and I'm just thrilled.
3: Yeah, me too. I, you know, I recall during the primary, I was saying, you know, I really don't want Joe Biden as our nominee because he has this kind of corporate moderate history and he doesn't seem particularly articulate and he was fumbling his answers on the debate stage. I didn't I didn't know at the time that he had a serious stuttering problem. Um, but, uh, I have been so impressed by this guy and he is, uh, his middle initials should be FDR. As a caller earlier said, uh, yeah, keep up the I am, I, thank you, Randall. I am sold. I am sold on Joe Biden and, uh, with Kamala Harris, I'm waiting for even better. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It starts with you people. We have to get involved, right? Get active, get out there, get active, tag, your it. Help make democracy work. Help them overcome the filibuster.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.